Today we're going, continuing, so if you, you know, if you want to, you can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 21. We're just kind of working through the case laws in Exodus 21 right now. Um, today we've made it all the way up to verse 18. Um, but just to kind of just to kind of do a quick review, give us an idea of where we're talking. So if we're talking about the Old Testament law, typically what's the first thing that comes to people's mind whenever they think about Old Testament law? What's that, Ash? Old. <laughs> Doesn't apply anymore, right? No longer a fire. Well, that's not true, actually, because what did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, none of it's going to pass away, right? Not a jot, not a tittle. He said, it's all, it's all still going to be here. And in fact, if you pay close attention to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, what did he actually do with the law? Did he, did he suppress it? Did he subject it? No, he, he actually elevated it, right? So he said, you, uh, you heard that you know, committing adultery is bad. Well, I, I say, if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've committed adultery in your heart. And people are like, whoa, 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 Jesus. And he said, you, you've heard it said, don't murder. I'm saying, if you look at a brother with hatred in your heart, then you've committed murder in your heart. And he's like, whoa, Jesus, hold on a second. Like he's, he's actually elevating the standards of the law, as we can see in the New Testament. So don't, don't get the idea um, it's a bad idea to get that New Testament means now the Old Covenant law doesn't apply. Now, there are um, New Covenant laws that have shifted, right, what, from their Old Testament. Can somebody give me an example? What's, what's an example of a, uh, of a restriction from the Old Covenant um, that doesn't necessarily apply anymore because God rolled it back? Dietary laws. Dietary laws. Okay, Wade, where did, where did God take care of that for us? The, the Peter, Peter sees the vision of the sheet descending from heaven, right? And it's got all the animals on it. And God says, take and eat. And Peter's like, I can't eat. I don't eat unclean things. And God's like, I've made it clean, you doofus. Listen, it's clean. Uh, don't, don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. Yeah, so the, we, we see examples of things like that. Um, we don't practice circumcision anymore. We practice what? Baptism, right? Yeah, we see, we see the lines drawn clearly between those things. It's, so some of the, the signs have changed. Uh, but the general understanding of the law. Now, so the reason that we have this class is so that we can go through and say, okay, how do the Old Testament, Old Covenant laws, how do we know which ones still apply and how do they apply? That's, that's really what we're doing, right? Now, <clears throat> we've talked about this. Remember a long time ago, we did our class on the Ten Commandments. Um, the Ten Commandments is best understood to be what? You guys remember from that class? Ten Commandments is best understood to be what, Jesse? Principles, Principles right? Uh, another way that we said it was more like a filing system, right? Here's, here's the ten major categories, ten or eleven major categories that we're trying to, to remember as we, uh, God's people, are learning law. And then whenever you see Exodus 21, case laws start rolling out. You see Leviticus case laws start rolling out. You understand that those are fitted underneath these larger categories of the Ten Commandments. And then all of the law is summarized by what? There you go. Like there's, there's, it, it's all summarized. So you see how it's like this pyramid almost, the way that it plays out? It's really, it's more of a system of um, like itemization, memorization, to be able to help you hold on to it longer. So you've got the two general statements of the law, You've got the Ten Commandments, and then we've got the case law. Now, <clears throat> remember, we also talked about the difference between commandments and statutes. Do you guys remember the difference between a commandment and a statute? Yeah. 
This is going to be fun, and I'm not calling on Jesse again. You already got yours. We're going to do somebody else. Ava? Yeah, that's right. Very good, very good. So you have, you have the commandment that gives you the principle, and you have the statute that gives you the application of the principle. Now, the statutes, case laws, right? Case laws, statutes, that's what we're going through in Exodus chapter 21. We're going through case law, right? The way that the statutes, the case laws apply is what shifts. But you notice that we're not messing with the commandments at all, right? Well, the commandments are still exactly, like the Ten Commandments class that we taught, you know, I don't know, four or five months ago, still stands in exactly what it was. We're not messing with the commandments. What we're saying is the applications that we're drawing from those, from the case laws, shift a little bit. Now, the easiest one that we pointed to several times is whenever Paul is saying, uh, he's talking about paying pastors, is what he's actually talking about, but what's, what's the case law that he references? Do you remember? Don't muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. What the heck, Paul? <laughs> you know, like Paul says, don't, don't muzzle an ox when he's treading out the grain. The principle is the ox is working, let him eat some of the reward of his work, right? That's, that's the general principle. And so what Paul is trying to teach is saying, hey, this case law right here, this principle that we're getting from this case law also applies to Paul, all applies to me. Um, because, hey guys, um, I'm over here bringing you guys the word and the truth, and uh, I gotta eat, <laughs> you know? Like, please pay me something. We gotta figure this thing out. Y'all you, you, see what I'm saying here? So that's really what we're doing, is we're taking the principles out of the case laws and continuing to apply them as we move forward. We went through the idea of biblical slavery for the last several weeks. Um, now remember, rule number one, Whenever we taught on biblical slavery, what was the first rule? Rule number one was what? Don't talk about it. <laughs> now, why? Why am I telling you that? Why, why, remember, why did we say that? Why did we say, don't talk about it with the people outside of the church just yet? Give them some time. Do you remember why? Because as soon as somebody hears the word slavery, shoom, all these false categories pop into their brain, which is actually not what the Bible's talking about at all, Right? The Bible, man-stealing is condemned in the Scriptures. We saw that explicitly last week. Chattel slavery is condemned in the Scriptures. We saw that explicitly last week, or the week before that. What, <clears throat> what are we actually talking about whenever we say the concept of biblical slavery? It's really what? Bond it's really bond servants. It's really indentured servitude. It's not that you own the person, it's that you own the... The labor, the work, right? Now, and we talked, we chatted through this for a long time. Now remember, do we still have these systems in existence today? Heck yeah, we do. Who's the master? The government, Visa, MasterCard, you know, student loans, you know, pick your, the bank, you know, pick your master. But you still have the same principles, right? You are still, we're still bond servanted out to these various masters, and, but we've left um, God's laws, God's regulations for those things. What's the largest principle of freedom that God gives us attached to the idea of biblical um, servanthood, biblical indentured servanthood? What's the largest aspect of freedom? What's that? You get, every six years, that seventh year, your debt's forgiven and it's done. It's not possible for you. In fact, early mortgages in the United States were set up that way. Did you know that? Early mortgages in the United States would not mortgage your house for more than five years. Isn't that interesting? We got year of jubilee now for student loans if it's 
Thank you. Yes, that's that's shockingly accurate. Isn't that funny? Every time it starts to spin up to election year again and be like, oh, we're forgiving student loans again? The gov- now it's not guaranteed by the government. Now you've paid for it. You, you pay for it now. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But we have, uh, for a long time in the United States, I think it was up until about like the 1930s or 40s, the vast majority of mortgages on a home were about five years. They were real short. Um, they were not this huge, long, drawn-out thing. Because what happened? I mean, think about, my brother brought his first house in 2000 and like four, 2002, 2004, somewhere in there. My brother bought his first house for $25,000. And I, I remember, now this was in Jackson Parish, Louisiana, okay? So, it's not exactly property value kinks up there, you know? But it was a nice house. I remember walking through it and thinking, man, this is a great, I like this house, you know? And whenever I moved down here with my wife and I saw house prices in South Louisiana for the first time, I told her straight up, I was like, baby, I don't know what y'all got down here, but this is not what I'm used to. Um, so what, what has happened is as the mortgages, the length have increased, right? Also, the amount of debt allowed has increased, which means what? The value, value, the, the aesthetics, the attachments to the homes have also increased, and so now you have these massive uh, pieces of property, hundreds of thousands of dollars, that now have to be insured so that if something disastrous happens, they uh, are still able to recover their debt. All these kinds of problems come up out of that. But if we just held fast to God's principle of, hey, you're a Jubilee is a good thing, let's hold on to that, that would, that would put a lot of restraints on our spendings and on our indebtedness and all those things in a, in a good way. Anyway, anybody have any questions about those reviews before we move on to today's topic? Today will be fun. All right, let's go to 18. Verse 18. Okay. We talked about manslaughter and murder a little bit last time. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that review because I feel like we did enough there. But let's continue the idea of what do you do whenever there's fighting, death, murder, that kind of thing around. Look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. I'm going to read it (coughs) and verse 19 to you. When men quarrel... And one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist, or the man, and, and the man does not die but takes to his bed. Then, the, then if the man rises again and walks outdoors with his staff, he who struck him shall be clear. Only he shall pay for what? What shall he pay for? A loss of time. Now, why does that matter? It's his labor. You see, you see how much God values work? Like He, he really values work. So God says, hey, if you put this guy down for a season, you got to pay for his loss of labor. you got to pay for his time. He shall pay for his loss of his time, and he shall have him thoroughly healed. Now, <clears throat> what, what is this really going after? If you get in a fight with somebody, and you hurt them, and you put them down, you got to pay to get them healthy and to uh, cover their losses. That's basically what that is. Now, what's the point of that? What's the point of a kind of law like that? What's that? 
Did you say a lawyer? <laughs> well, that is, that is partly where attorneys get the idea of a loss of wage, right? If you've injured yourself to such a point, this is why you, you have the ability to access an attorney to sue for loss of wages because you've been harmed to the point where you can't work the same capacity anymore. That's a, that's a biblical category. That's a good category. That's not totally what we're going after here, although that's like a sub-application of it, I'm sure. What we're really going after here is folks who take the law into their own hands. That's really what this is about, okay? This is saying, hey, listen, if you take the law into your own, see, go back to the beginning of the passage. When men quarrel and one strikes, in other words, if a fight breaks out, if you guys have decided, no, I'm right, no, I'm right, and then you duke it out apart from the law system, that's, that's vigilantism. That's, um, that's dueling. Do you remember dueling? That was a thing, right? And that was actually a thing in the United States for a long time, too. People would be like, me, uh, meet me at high noon. They slap you in the face with a glove. You know, I can't remember exactly what they did. You know, let's go out and we'll duel with pistols at paces, you know, 10 paces. That's the weird, that whole situation was the weirdest thing in the world. Well, Jim Bowie had some kind of major duel Of course he did. Of course he did. So... The general principle is that, that, that vigilantism in and of itself is wrong. We, we don't want that. Why? Why don't we want vigilantism? Well, what, is, what has God established? God's established a government. God's established a system of judges, right? And we just got through what happens if somebody's accidentally killed, like manslaughter or murder. You, you have an opportunity to flee. You have an opportunity to, to appeal to the, to the local uh, judges, to the local magistrates, to, to, to see your case through. This is just people taking the law straight up into their own hands. They're trying to, to solve their disputes on their own. Does that make sense, you guys? We're not allowing for vigilantism here. Now, this says a lot to a lot of things that we've been talking over the last couple of weeks. So one of the things would be, obviously, that we've been talking about the idea of the proper way to appeal to a, to a, a lesser magistrate. You guys remember that from several weeks ago? The idea that whenever we have an issue with a governing official, we should appeal to who? Another governing official, right? We don't just jump into straight rebellion mode and be like, I'm for my own government, I'm doing my own thing, and I'm, I'm apart from you. No, the... The American War for Independence was exactly that, actually. It was, it, was the American, um, it was the American colonies saying, hey, Britain, you've broken your covenant with us. We're going to appeal to our local governors and form our own government now. It was not just this individualistic mass rebellion like the French Revolution was. Instead, they were working to, to fight and follow the Lord and his orders as best they possibly could. So it's not just vigilantism. Um, and we're, we're not... There is this risk with like all the superhero movies and stuff like that that fly out on the, on the TV and everything right now. There is this risk that we are imbibing and that our kids are imbibing this understanding of uh, individualistic justice. Well, I'm going to take the law into my own hands and I'm going to fix this problem, right? That's a, that's a vigilante. So like uh, one time my son was on the playground this is great. He's not here, so I can tell these stories. One time, my son was on the playground, and some kid got a, I don't remember what it was, a, a 
toy taken from them or they got pushed over or something. And my son was like, his justice meter went off. Do you know, you know how little kids have justice meters? You know what I'm talking about? And they're like, unjust, right? It just, it just triggers in his brain. And so my son's like, I'm going to solve this problem. And so he commits himself to enter into like fisticus with this other kid that took something from somebody else, right? He's, he's ready to fight. Well, what's, what's wrong with that? That's, that's vigilantism. You know, he has an avenue to appeal to an authority to get, a, to get an issue like that dealt with. Now, we've explained a lot of, there's a lot of nuance in a category like that, right? And we've explained that to him over time. But the initial reaction of your friend got his toy taken away from him, so you punched the guy who took the toy is probably the improper response. <laughs> you know, that's the wrong jump. Now, if your friend, and this is something that we've explained to our kids, if your friend is getting beaten up by somebody and there's no authority around, then you should rush in to defend, right? Like, that's, that's, a, that's a different category, though. That's a different set of understandings. That's not vigilantism. That's protection and defense and all those different things. But we don't want to teach our kids, <clears throat> especially our kids, that they grow up in the Wild West, where the law is just, you know, whatever happens. Whoever swings hardest is the guy who wins, Whoever, whoever can punch the hardest is the guy that's in charge because that's going to cause all kinds of problems. We need to instead, as best we can, trust our children or, or teach our children to trust their biblical authorities, the ones that God has put over them, um, so that they can have the proper channels to appeal to authority, but also to know when the right time would be to, to fight when they need to fight. Does that make sense, you guys? Okay, do you all have questions about this? I want to try to put some more flesh on the bones here. So vigilantism, bad, okay? But defense of your neighbor, good. Those are, those are, two, those are two good things. Self-defense, also good. But the general principle is that you should want to, you should want to avoid a fight as much as possible. Um, I think the contemporary term is de-escalate or something like that. I think that's the way that people talk about it today. Rather than try to, try to ramp a fight up, you want to try to, hey guys, you know, let's work through this. High fives all around. We're moving on. You want to you avoid a fight. And if you need to appeal to an authority, you have an authority to appeal to. But there is a right way to fight. Um, we spent a long time talking about this in one of our Sunday school classes, but we'll, we'll chat about it just a little bit here. <clears throat> so, General principles. Let's just continue using my son as an illustration here because he's not here, so why not? General principles. Um, one of the things that we told Abel was, hey, if somebody takes a toy from your neighbor, you don't get to punch the person who took the toy. Like, there's a proper channel of appeal for authority, all those things. If your neighbor, you know, is getting attacked and it's violent, and you should feel like you, need, you can jump over there and help defend them, help protect them. That's a good thing. You should be able to do that, help break the fight up. All those things are important qualities for young men to have. But what if, what if somebody's trying to fight you? This, let's work through this real quick. What if somebody's trying to fight with you? What do you the idea of self-defense. What, what do you do? How do you, how do you handle a situation like this? This is, I mean, we live in Opelousas, right? Like, this is stuff that comes up, so we might as well talk through it. What if somebody's trying to fight with you? What's your first initial response should, should be? Try to, try to settle it down a little bit if you can, right? But sometimes, uh, man, sometimes you try to settle it down, and no, they just, they came to fight. Oh, we're going to fight today? Okay, we're going to fight today. I guess that's what we're doing. Now, here's the deal. If this pushes to a situation where a physical altercation starts, and this is where y'all might not be able to hear what I'm about to tell you, but once a physical altercation starts, there are no rules, 
Do you guys get that? This is a, this is a super important concept. Um, this is where dueling is completely drunk. I don't know what they were thinking. We're going to fight to the death, but there are rules. I'm like, no, there's not. There's not a rule. We're fighting to the death and there's rules? No. We, we, there's no honor here. That's what weird law code are we dealing with here? If, there is a, if there's an actual fight, right, if it escalates to that point, then there's not, there's not like a, it's, it's you or them, right? Or it's the, the innocent or the, or the not innocent or the person you're trying to protect or the person that's coming after him. Like there's a decision to be made. I mean, look at the way that the police operate today. Um, the police do not pretend like there is some higher honor code involved in their fights if they get put down to it's either them or the bad guys. That's, that's how it goes. <clears throat> we should not understand this to be a strange situation. If you get to a point where you can't de-escalate a situation, if you get to a point where you can't get out of a fight, where if it's you or them, there's not rules here. Obviously, don't just kill somebody. But do, you, do y'all follow with me here? <clears throat> we got to think through this well and think through it together. If you're forced to fight, there is no extra biblical law code. Um, police aren't fighting fair because they have justice on their side, and that applies to you too. Now, that, that means don't escalate, don't unnecessarily provoke, do everything possible to avoid, get, a, get somebody in to, to arbitrate the case, you know, if you can do all those things. All that stuff's important, but if it gets to the point where it's a fight, it's a fight all the way down. Does that make sense, you guys? So, so one of the things that we said to uh, my son so like, hey, son, you know, you're not Batman, so, you know, don't be a vigilante. That's bad. <clears throat> However, if there is a situation where a, a fight escalates, okay, and somebody has, uh, is like attacking my son and going after him, we told him very clearly, it's like, you fight until the fight's over. You, you are swinging until somebody pulls you off of the other person. <laughs> like, that's... That's the way that this thing has to go down. If you can get out of it, get out of it. If you can deal with it a different way, deal with it a different way. But if you're being attacked and you have to engage, then you engage all the way. And you don't stop until either the other guy has obviously lost or you're being dragged off of them. That's the point that you stop. Do you get what I'm saying? And I think that that's important principles that we get into our kids' heads. We're, we're not after vigilantism, okay? We want a proper appeal to authority. But if there is a fight... There's not like this weird um, honor of dueling thing that seemed to happen with these like Alexander Hamilton duels and stuff like that, where they set off paces and bullets and swords and stuff like If it's a fight, it's a fight. It's a fight all the way down. So you should be able to work through those things well. Does, does that make sense, you guys? Okay. Do y'all have questions about it? Giant Lane's like, yeah, that makes sense. I'm ready to... <laughs> Yo, my pastor just told me to swing on some folks. We're about to... That's not what I said. That's not what I said. That's not what I said. Yes, Robin? Yeah, if he can, if he can like pin him and knock it down and stuff like that. Yeah, that's that'd be ideal. Because obviously, if you're you know, black 
if you're three times their body weight, <laughs> yeah, you would not say to an adult, yeah, just wail on that nine-year-old until they stop moving. Like, that would be an improper response, <laughs> which is functionally what he is at six foot one. You know, he's functionally an adult. Yeah, so, yeah, that's a, that's a good understanding. If you can restrain, right, you know, that goes back to the, if you can de-escalate, if you can restrain, if you can just pin them, and handle it down, then you're good to go. But that's not always an option. If you're more evenly matched, you have to, disabling looks a little more violent than it, than it does in other instances. Any other questions about this? Y'all didn't know we were getting into this on Sunday school, did you? <laughs> Cheers. There's a lot of principles that you get here, though. Um, you get the idea of self-defense. Um, you get the idea of appeal to authority. You get the idea of all these different kinds of things. It's very helpful. <clears throat> now, there's lots of reasons for this. <coughs> there's lots of reasons for these kind of things. I just want to run through them real fast before we get into our next bit. Um, one of them is that we're all made in the image of God. Amen. Therefore, you have value. And so, therefore, there's a certain way that we should, uh, we should regard these things. And, and God wants us to protect... Um, those who are also made in the image of God. And in order to do that, God established systems like government in order to help us do those kinds of things. Um, There's also the idea of human flourishing. There's also the idea of justice. The justice, whenever I say justice, I'm talking about judging with no partiality. Um, We want to have an equity of justice as we're going through and working through those things. And you also see things that are set up to be able to guarantee that, like the pay for lost wages, Um, the rehab of the person who's been injured. If there is a fight like that, God cares about those principles very much. There's another piece that comes in here when we're dealing with Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, is the idea of crime and murder. So here's the deal. Law, what does Paul say? Law acts as a what? You remember? Paul says that the law acts like a tutor, right? It instructs. And it also restrains. Um, so very recently, the Roe v. Wade's ruling flipped in the United States. And guess what happened as a result of that? A lot of states in the Union don't do any type of uh, abortion procedures anymore. It's, it's happened, which means those numbers have significantly dropped. Now, other numbers in other states that do provide for those kind of services have increased but not necessarily proportionately. In fact, in Louisiana, it is nigh impossible to have an abortion procedure here, okay? Like, in order to get access to an abortion from the state of Louisiana, you have to go all the way to somewhere, I think it's in, like, Virginia or something, is the closest place that you can have access to a state where you can still find those kinds of things. It's, it's, a, it's a long drive off. Now, the Plan B pill still exists, and I can go into Walgreens and buy it tomorrow if I want to. Like, it's, it's on the shelves. I do not need a prescription. I put it in my buggy, and I walk out of the store, and it's like 20, 30 bucks. It's stupid cheap. So abortions are still very much happening, happening in the United States. They're just happening in a different way. But what we've seen in the SCOTUS flip, in the Supreme Court flip, is a reduction in the amount of abortions that happen overall in the United States, in the United States which means that the law is restraining evil. Do you see what I'm talking about? That's one of the roles of law. Now, there, there's a very popular phrase that gets tossed around in, in the church world, and it's, you can't legislate morality. You ever heard that expression before? Raise your hand if you've heard that expression before. Yeah, you've heard that. Bologna sausage, you can't legislate morality. It happens all the time. The question mark is, what morality is attempting to be legislated? Okay? 
Is it the morality where they will take your children from you and put your little boys in a dress and they don't have to tell the parents about it? Because that morality, as immoral as it is, has been legislated in some states. <clears throat> is it the morality where we can kill your children in the womb and where we can kill your daughter's child in the womb and never have to tell the parents about it? Because that morality has been placed in the states. So you see what I'm saying? The idea that one cannot legislate a moral value is ridiculous. Of course you do. It's always happened. And as Christians, we understand that the purpose of law, or at least one of the purposes of law, is to restrain evil, okay, is to hold it back. And so we say things like, heck yeah, abortion should be illegal. Absolutely. Heck yeah, homosexual marriage should be illegal. Absolutely. Heck yeah, transgenderism should be illegal. Like, we, we don't have a problem with that. We, we can respond with those statements at surface value and say yes and amen because they fit with God's law. We want God's law to do its job, which is to tutor, which is to instruct, which is to restrain. Now, that does not assume this is the important part that we got to get caught up on. That does not assume that now, therefore, everybody's saved because they're all obeying Christian laws, right? No, that's a, that would be a stupid assumption. But it does assume that the world is a better place. Why? I'm just going to sit here in silence until you are ready to talk. I'm going to make you do it, too. Oh, because the law of God puts the world in its proper order, right? It's almost like God said, here's the best way for everything to work, okay? And so if we say yes and amen, and then we apply those laws, even if the people living in the nation with those laws aren't necessarily converted, their lives will still be better because they're following the laws of God. I mean, just think about the, the, the slavery laws that we went through. The, slavery in the Old Testament was actually a form of what? Do y'all remember? It was actually a form of social security, wasn't it? Whenever you got in a bad spot, you could, you could sell your labor in advance to someone else, and they would pay you for it, and you could pay off whatever tremendous debts you'd fallen into, and they now have the responsibility to care for you, and in the next seven years, you knew that you were going to be set free again, to be able to go out and live your life, and, and, and to be provided for and cared for. It was all these wonderful, good truths that happened from the proper understanding and application of God's law. But what we say, what we do now is we have this really backwards understanding and we say things like you can't legislate morality. Um, we say things like, no, we don't, we don't want those laws in here. We separate our, our governing institutions from the law of God so much so that it only causes strife and suffering. No, if you want a solid nation, one of the things that we got to fight to do is return to God's laws as much as we possibly can. And I would say as fast as we can. Do y'all have questions about that? It's not that complicated, right? See, like, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir right now. You're all in here like, Stuart, we've been beating this dead horse for like six months. We got it. You know, we know this already. Okay, great. Fine. Great. <clears throat> all right. So we see that God valued their vocation, their work. He saw, we saw that he valued their, um, their rights as an employee, all those different things. Now let's go through very quickly. Yeah, we got time. Look at verse 20. 
Do y'all have any questions about the vigilanteism or the proper application of God's law or judgment or anything like that in that category before we move on? All right, y'all are... I know, right? I know. But see, that's what every little boy wants to do. Every little boy wants to pretend to be Batman or, you know, like some form of them, some form of superhero that exists above the law, right? That's, that's like their desire. But we got to teach our boys, we have to teach our boys and our girls too, we got to teach all our people, hey, um, we want you to appeal to the authority in the proper way, but we also want you to know when to fight and to do it and to be brave to do it. Dana, did I see your hand up? Yeah. Civil War. Yeah. Commissioner Gordon. I love superhero stories. Yeah. Right. I'd say that's more of a modern thing. Um, have you guys ever watched the 50s Batman? Where he's, you know what I'm talking about, yeah. Where he's wearing like spandex, he looks ridiculous, you know, just absolutely ridiculous. Well, the whole joke, yeah, Robin's literally in underwear, you know, it's terrible. But the whole joke is that uh, the local police are just completely dunces. You know, that's the, that's the whole joke of the series if you watch it. And so Batman shows up and says something obvious and they're like, that's genius, Batman. You know, like they're, that's the whole point of the joke. It's the first, yeah, the Kachow Pow series from the 50s, 60s. It was, it was supposed to be a joke, you know? And now the Batman cartoons and TV shows and movies are like the most serious you've ever watched. But in the 50s, it was a joke, you know, like, because we had all of this in our DNA still. But today we don't have it, so it's a different animal. Jesse? Wouldn't the original vigilante story be of Lucifer falling? <coughs> he wanted to take law into his own hands. I think any rebellion of God is probably that. You know, any time that we are saying, I know better, that's a vigilante story. So yeah, that's probably accurate. <laughs> All right, Exodus 20. Let's blow through this one relatively quickly. When a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod, and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged, for the slave is his money. All right, first, right away, what's the first thing that you see? God values life, okay? If the slave dies under the hand of the master. Now, remember, whenever we're saying slave, what are we talking about here? We're talking about... We're talking about bond servants. Now, some of y'all read this and you were just like, yo, these masters, they beating people? These masters out here beating people? What's going on here, Stuart? I'm going to explain to you. Just hold on. We've talked about this a little bit up to this point. You're going to be all right. <clears throat> but the first point is that God values life. Right away you see that. If the slave dies, then the master dies. Life for life. Boom. No questions asked. But if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged for the slave is his money. In other words, if the master has disciplined his slave, beaten the slave, beaten the bondservant, and as a result of that, some type of infection or something sets in, right? Or some kind of injury goes sideways to the, to the bondservant, and then the bondservant dies, it's counted not so much as a result of the, the master's work, but as a result of the discipline. Do you see the difference between those two things? It's a result of the discipline. Now, 
Why, let's see if some of y'all remember this. Why would the masters of the bondservants have the right to discipline their slaves? Do y'all remember? Because they're part of their household, right? It's, kind of, it's partly it. They're, it's kind, of, they're kind of like their kids, you know? They're responsible for them, that's true. What else? Can you think of any other reasons? Oh, y'all don't remember? Oh, man, we talked about this. Maybe it's just too icky and you don't want to say it out loud. That's okay, too. This is a safe place. Um, so part of it was, do you remember what was going on with Abraham? See, I got happy feet because I'm walking around teaching. See, this is always what happens. Um, do you remember what happened with Abraham? <clears throat> Abraham was functionally the what of his household? He was like the sheriff, wasn't he? There, there wasn't like a ton of magistrates for him to appeal to. It, whenever you operate with households of this size, you're really dealing with little kingdoms, okay? That's why extramarital affairs happening was, was dealt with so severely because it was really an act of treason almost that was happening against these, these little kingdoms, okay? And so as the head of this household, part of your responsibility was to enforce justice on all the members of your household. Do y'all, do y'all get what I'm saying here? That was part of your responsibility. So it wasn't really, see, whenever we see, when we hear a phrase like, beat the slaves, see what I'm saying? All these categories pop into our head that's like, that's crazy! When really what we're saying is, hey, if you've got a servant, a bond servant, that is in violation of God's law or is refusing to obey you and do the work that you've given them to do, which is a violation of God's law, then it's your responsibility to discipline them. You see? It's a differentiation in the chain of command. <clears throat> Y'all following with me here? It, it, it was the, the, the master's job to keep his house in order, and one of the tools that he had in his pocket was to deal with his servants, to be able to go in and say, hey, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. We gotta deal with it. <clears throat> now, what you would see also, though, if you, got, if you went to Exodus chapter 21 and other passages that we talked about last time, like Exodus 21, 26, if a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. You see, the master's restrained, okay? If the master kills his slave by, uh, by his discipline, then the master should be executed. If he, <clears throat> the, if he injures the, the, uh, the slave's eye, then the slave's death's forgiven, he's free, he moves on from life. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. You see, there's certain degrees in which the masters have this responsibility to keep their households in order, keep the things firing that they should, in the directions that they should be firing, but also they're restrained by God's law to keep themselves dialed back. Do y'all see how that works out? This is not some, when we first read passages like that, we're like, yikes. But it's because of the same thing that we started this whole class by saying. As soon as you say the word slave, all these categories load into your brain that aren't here in the text, okay? In the text, you got to remember, when we're talking about masters, we're talking more about the sheriffs of a small town who are responsible for the discipline of those within their purview. They're, they're directly responsible for it. What do we do today if somebody breaks the law? Yeah, we put them in jail, right? Three hots in a cot. And then for how long? We don't know. It's government-sanctioned timeout, which is not a biblical form of discipline at all, okay? 
It's government-sanctioned timeout, and they go off to government-sanctioned timeout, and nine times out of ten, what happens to a criminal whenever they're in jail? It gets worse, right? It's not rehabilitation at all. How many guys... Actually, no, I'm not going to ask that question. We have many gentlemen in here who have been in prison, and if you would like to talk to them, they can provide you with their personal testimonies about how, no, yes, it actually does get worse there. (laughs) It actually does. They've seen it with their own eyes. We've seen it in our prison ministries with our own eyes. But a biblical justice system that says, hey, you did this wrong, here's your discipline, let's move on from there is actually much more gracious. It's terrible that we would lock somebody in a box, steal all of their fruitfulness for the rest of their life, and then call it rehabilitation. That's, that's wicked. That's wicked. Deal with it by discipline. If they're deserving of execution, then execute them and move on to the next thing. That's actually grace. Okay? Do you all have any questions about that? Is there anything worthy of long-term imprisonment but not necessarily execution? Uh, so... Listen, I don't have, uh, you know, we actually have a, a Christian here that is serving as a criminal district attorney visiting with us today. So one day maybe we can talk to them and ask them some questions. Hey, man, it's good to see you. Um, so one day we can, we can flesh this out more. I am not an expert in the proper application of a contemporary civil law code. However, I would say if we are fighting to return to a biblical standard, I don't see a category for putting somebody in a box for an extended period of time outside of things like a drunk tank, you know? All right, you're hammered. I'm going to remove you from society for the next 48 hours until you're not hammered anymore, and then we'll deal with the rest of it on the other side. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, the idea of just saying, like, so a serial rapist, they should be executed, do you know? Um, A sexual abuser. They should be executed. Like, you you have all these categories for things that the Bible just makes easily available to us, but we instead decide that we know better, and we're going to say things like, well, execution's so mean, though. And actually, it's very gracious. We've had this conversation before, right? Back in the day, whenever executions were practiced and they were practiced quickly, in Christian countries, what happened? Well, it restrained evil, that's true, but also the pastors would go visit the people on death row. You remember that? And very often, those on death row would do what? They'd believe in Jesus, <laughs> you know? Like Jeffrey Dahmer, you know? Jeffrey Dahmer's probably in heaven right now if the testimonies are true because somebody went and witnessed to him and he believed the gospel of Jesus Christ and repented and believed. Like, holy smokes, the gospel's real, you guys. And that's... Yeah, if you watch some of the stuff, it's pretty cool. So, yeah, does that answer your question, Stephen? Ish. Ish. Yeah, well, we'll figure out those things more later on. <clears throat> All right. But beatings, Pastor Stewart? Beatings? Sometimes you got to. Well, and isn't it interesting that just last week, or the week before that, whenever we were talking through these passages, it was specifically about daughters. It was specifically about fathers who became in severely 
financially distressing situations who would, who would sell their daughters, you know, but they're, what, they're, what are they actually doing? They're giving their daughters over to be taken care of by someone else, receiving financial compensation with, for it to pay for the debt. But see, for us, we're like, oh, he's selling his daughter. Really, what he's, he's a, a functionally adopting his kid out and saying, take care of my kid, please. I can't afford to feed him anymore. And then they're able to pay for their debt, and then the kid is free to go inside of seven years. Like, it's a, it's a social security system is really what it was designed to be. But yeah, no, I'd be interested to know that too. But I do think it's worth saying that we see some very specific laws that apply to kids. And I think that matters. I think that matters. Any other questions? Ashley? <laughs> yeah. Right, right. The idea of like, all right, you didn't do what you're supposed to do. Um, but that comes into, see, I, I agree. <coughs> but that comes into us being able to say, hey, this is, it's, people see Christians applying the law of God correctly, and they react to it as though it's proud. Um, like whenever we release the statement about the, uh, the chief of police, one of the common rebuttals was like, you guys are so proud. Y'all are such prideful people. When really, that is the exact opposite of what was going on. We were operating in submission to what God was telling us to do. That's not proud. Um, it's the same idea of any time you enter into a church discipline situation. You are acting in submission to what God is telling you to do. You're not saying, I'm so much better. You know, I'm sure there are people that are doing it wrong, though. But it's the same principle as disciplining your children. Right? You don't discipline your children from a position of righteousness. You're disciplining your children from a position of submission to God's word. This is what God says to do. I submit and obey. You know? And so the person who is on the outside, I think that stone will always be a stone that they throw. You're so proud. Look at you. You're such a prideful person because you think you can do this. And you're actually like, I'm just obeying my master. And this is what my master says to do. But yeah, I think that's true too. Anything else? Great. Well, I love y'all. Let's pray, and then uh, we'll get going for the day. Father, thank you so much that you give us this morning. Thank you so much that we get to study your word and explore it and learn more about you and what you've taught us to do. I pray that we'd be faithful to it. Um, I pray that you would put our hands to the task well and that we would honor you all of our days. Um, Lord, continue to teach us and strengthen us and help us to follow your law forever, and may we delight in it um, until it's no longer a thing. Lord, we love you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.